The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please go to www.folfcrc.com. Hebrews chapter 1, we'll, we'll dive right in. Excited to be with you all tonight. Let's pray and we'll get right in. Father, thank you so much for a beautiful night and, and most of all, just for your beautiful son, Lord. We, our minds cannot comprehend the beauty and the glory of Jesus, but we wanna see more of him tonight. Um, Lord, we're here before your word, asking that you would speak, not just as you spoke to this audience however long ago, but that you'd speak to us tonight through this word. Lord, uh, just enlarge our hearts, open our eyes to see a new view of your son, to be amazed and to love him uh, as we should, as we could. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, I'm happy to spend time with y'all. We are gonna just, uh, we're jumping into the middle of a conversation here in Hebrews chapter one, where the author is writing just very, almost in a complex manner, so many Old Testament references just jam-packed into one small space. So we've been walking through that. That's where we're diving into. I'm just gonna read the text. We're gonna start with verse 10, Hebrews 1, 10, and we're gonna go to 2, 4. You ready? Okay. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and in the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you are the same, and your years will have no end. To which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Amen. What's the point of Hebrews? Anybody remember? What you've been saying so far? Hi, Russ. Hi, Sandy. Let's give him a hand, folks. Let's give him a hand. All right, what's the point of Hebrews? The point of Hebrews is this audience is tempted with great pressure to leave Christ, okay? So you're in somewhere in the first century AD, I think around in the 60s somewhere. Um, and in the Roman Empire, the Jewish religion was a established religion, a legal religion. And so many of these people probably had grown up Jewish uh, and had become Christian. They realized that Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of all the Jewish promises. So they're following Jesus now. But the Roman Empire did not smile on Christianity because uh, Christians said things like, Jesus is Lord, which really stole straight from Caesar. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And so, um, so there was a lot of persecution, a lot of pressure to leave the faith. Um, sometimes it was from the Jews themselves. If you know, uh, if you read the book of Acts and, and how much pressure the apostle Paul received when he would tell Jewish folks about Jesus. So there was huge pressure for them to leave Jesus Christ and go back to just Judaism. Let's just go back. Because as we see in the letter, 
Some of them have lost their property. It's hard, it's hard for us to imagine if you go home and your, your home is boarded up, you can't go in anymore. It's because you're a Christian. Others, um, are, they have to pump themselves up to be brave enough to visit Christian brothers and sisters in prison. And that's courageous because if you do that, they're gonna see that you're connected. Uh, maybe you'd be in danger of going to jail. So that's huge pressure, right? To leave Jesus. You could still be religious, you know, just go to synagogue. You could uh, still like the Old Testament. Just leave Jesus. That was immense pressure. And so he's writing them over and over again. He's just pounding this in. Jesus is so great, so wonderful, so amazing. Don't leave him at any cost. Don't leave him. And so um, in this chapter, the author has just been showing how great Jesus is so that we'd stay. But I got two questions for you as we start. Um, in chapter one, the author is comparing Jesus to the angels. Um, anybody have an idea as to why? You see, look at verse five. For which of the angels did God ever say? Um, so he's comp- um, he, he continues to say, look, Jesus is higher. He's better than angels. Why do you think that was an issue for them? Any guesses? Angel worship, maybe. That's part of it. Um, it's not too hard to believe, right? Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Yeah, there's probably a connection with angels in the Old Testament. They believe the Old Testament was mediated through angels. Why is that difficult for us in today's, uh, any of you struggle with angel worship? Did, were you, you know, secretly in your closet bowing before Gabriel and you're like, oh, I know I shouldn't do that. No, okay. Um, so here's the question for you. What pressure do you face or what, what applies pressure in your life to get you to not be loyal to Christ? So I actually want to take a few minutes and I want you to, there's three people over there, so groups of three or so. I want you to tell each other what the biggest pressures are in your life that wanna push you away from being loyal to Christ, fervent for Christ, okay, are you ready? You'll have to talk to one another to do that. Can you do that? Your market set, go.
All right, I think you came up with some things, right? I heard some good things. Uh, who's willing to just uh, give me one or two things that pressure you, influence you just away from loyalty to Jesus? Karen. Yeah, how so? Okay, sure, sure. So maybe some documentary just kind of subtly demeans or denies like um, the veracity of the Bible or something like that. Or uh, I think politics can do it in the sense that you start to hope too much that some political leader can give you what you need or you start to, you, you start to uh, despair that somebody's gonna ruin God's plan for everything. Uh, but, but just giving it too much weight um, sure. What's another one? The more you think about it, the more you come up with uh, some real things. Brian. Uh, pressures act like your friends to be happy. Yeah, that's huge. Anytime you're with a group of people, you're, you're kind of reading what they're like, you're reading what they want, you almost can't help it, right? None of us want to be hated or made fun of or outcasts. You want to fit in well, you want to be liked, you want to be a part, and sometimes you just have this real sense that if I'm explicitly a Christian, they're not gonna like that. I'm gonna pay for it somehow, right? Let, let's work on that one for a little bit. Say it's, say it's a group of people. I think that's a lot of us, right? Whether it's coworkers or friends or some group of people where you're like, I wanna be undercover Jesus agent so no one knows. Um, we, we know what the negative is, right? I don't wanna be, I guess rejection is the word, uh, despised, demeaned, whatever. What's the positive that you do want? in that moment. What do you want? What, why, what's, the, what's the other end of that spectrum on the pressure? Acceptance, loved. Um, yeah, or um, respect maybe, okay? So here's the question, and, and this is what the author of Hebrews is getting at. Is being respected by that group of people better than having Jesus? I know, you know, here we are church, you know the answer, but in the moment, it actually feels like being respected by them is better than having Jesus. That's what we have to deal with. I think I heard somebody say I was overhearing, and a couple actually said it, even just busyness. You have a task list, right? And what's most important, especially for some of us type A organized people, I gotta get Chris, especially, <laughs> Seriously, so the, so the pressure to get stuff done, what can it do in your life? It takes all your time. What do you not have time for? But, you know, whether it's spending time with the Lord or being with his people or something else he's asking you to do, right? So then the question is, is getting all that stuff done better than having Jesus? Feels like it sometimes. But is it? Or, uh, yeah. You, we could go on and on and on. I think the more you look at it, you know, the, the context here is persecution, but if you look into your heart, into your mind, into your setting, there's, there's a million, there always are, and it's gonna be different in, in your life all the time. The question to constantly ask yourself, is Jesus better? How much better is he? One more question I have for you. Look at chapter two, verse one. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we, lest we what? 
drift away. Isn't that interesting? What's the, what's the word drift give you a mental picture of? What's that? Mario Kart. Mario Kart. How come? Okay. What's another mental picture? Yes. A boat in the ocean in the current. Okay. So is drift tend to be something that you're doing on purpose in one, one ultimate decision? I'm going to drift. Or is it something that kind of happens unintentionally due to other forces? Right. Unintentionally due to other forces. Why does the author of Hebrews say you need to be careful not to deny Christ in one ultimate moment? That's not what he says. You need to be careful not to drift. What do you think about that? Why does he use that word when it comes to leaving Christ? How does it tend to happen? Yeah? Slowly? Yeah, it's, and it's your inaction that tends to, ha- that, that tends to bring, bring it to pass. You're not paddling anymore. You're just drifting. You're not fighting anymore. You're just going. You're not steering. It's, it's a lack of intentionality. I've been a pastor for 12 years. I don't think I've met anybody who said, oh, I found one hole with Christianity. I've lost my faith. I can't believe this about the Bible or that about Jesus or whatever. I don't think I've ever met anybody like that. I have met people who, man, I thought they were Christians and all of a sudden uh, they really want a certain kind of relationship or they really want to do something or they were really struggling with um, just the things of the world or, or something. And then, uh, oh, I haven't seen him at church for a while. And you finally grab him for coffee. How you doing? Are you reading your Bible or praying anymore? No, I don't really do. And then and all of a sudden, they're out of sight. They drifted. That's the danger for you, is to drift. Why do we always want to, why do we want to meet together? Why do we want to keep hearing the gospel? Why do we want to keep hearing the word? Why do we want to keep working together? Why do we keep doing this? So you don't drift. I mean, sometimes we look for some magical, amazing thing at church. If being a part of a Christian community just keeps you in Christ so that you don't drift, that's part of the mission accomplished right there. You're not drifting. You're staying home. So you feel the pressure. Don't drift. The way to do that, pay closer attention to what we've heard. Heard about who? Jesus. So let's just have a look at Jesus. We're going to see two pictures of him. The first one um, is in Psalm 102. The second one is in Psalm 10. So that's what he's quoting from. Psalm 102 and 110. I think we could probably just stay in Hebrews for this, uh, at least for the first one. I see text coming in. That's awesome. Thank you. I'll get it. I'm going to get to those questions at the end, okay? If you have questions, you can text them. So we're starting in verse 10. You, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe. You will roll them up. You know, actually, why not? Let's go to Psalm 102. Do you want to? Oh, you already did it. All right, all right. 501. Uh, one, one kind of a deeper question is what right does the psalmist have to apply Psalm 102, or 
What right does the author of Hebrews have to apply Psalm 102 to Jesus? In this text, there's, you know, some of the Psalms are like, oh, I see the Messiah in there. Remember Psalm 2? Um, I've set my king on my hill. Oh, there's a messianic king. Psalm 110 is going to be like that. There's, there's this Messiah in there that's obvious. Psalm 102, you don't see that at all. Uh, what do you see? Kind of the heading of Psalm 102. A prayer of one afflicted. Okay. And he's, hear my prayer, O Lord, verse 1. Uh, and he's really lamenting. Don't hide your face from me. Verse 3, my days are like smoke. Verse 4, he's so sad he doesn't even eat anymore. His bones cling to his flesh. He's like, he's like a desert owl of the wilderness. He's living in a hole by himself. That's how he feels. It's a very emotive psalm. He's mourning. Don't you love that God's word has this stuff in it? For when we feel that way. So why, what's he doing? Look at verse 12. But you, O Lord, are what? Enthroned forever. Now I'm asking you to remember a lot, but what is the psalmist already, or what is the author of Hebrews already established about Jesus in the beginning of the chapter? We looked at Psalm 2. God's promise, he's got his anointed king. We looked at 2 Samuel 7. Uh, remember, Abraham's going to family is going to be Abraham's going to have a family is going to be a blessing to the whole world. David is the king that comes out of that nation, and God's promise to David is, "Your son is going to reign forever, build a house." Jesus, through his life, death, and resurrection, he reigns. So the psalmist is already established. I went through that way too fast. The psalmist has already established Jesus is what? He's king. He's the divine king. I think that's what's in his mind, verse 12. But you, O Lord, are what? You're enthroned forever. Jesus is God's king who's enthroned forever. For that reason, then we can look down to verse 25. And this is what the, this is what the author of Hebrews is quoting from. Psalm 102, 25. Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. Now is, now's when you need to use your imagination. Who's he talking about? Who's, he, who's the author of Hebrews applying this to? Jesus. Jesus. And what did Jesus do in verse 25? You created everything. And we're so used to saying that. We're like, oh, yeah, God created everything. Just remember for a moment what that means. You go outside, you look at the stars. Have you ever done that before? Maybe in another place other than Southern California, so you can actually see them. Um, you, you ever just been in awe? And you know the light you're looking at is what, however many thousands of, uh, the light was made how long ago on some of these stars? Somebody help me who's smarter than me. Uh, or, or, or something, right? You're just, it's so big. It's so big. So there's the macro side of creation, like the fine-tuning of gravity, um, where our earth is in the solar system. And, just, and, then, all, and then there's the micro idea of like the cell uh, or quantum physics and how that works. And you just, I don't understand any of it. I read enough of it to know that's just incredible. Who is the person who makes that? With a word. 
I mean, our words have power. We're made in the image of God. You can hurt people's feelings. You can encourage people. Words have power, but <laughs> not that kind of power. <laughs> let there be, you know, I used to joke when I was a kid, let there be light, ha-ha, and then you turn on the switch. But what did I, did, what did I have to do? <laughs> God says, let there be light, and there are stars. Uh, two weeks ago, I gave you this word, numinous. If you're, I'm giving it to you again, numinous. It's the sense of awe or even dread that comes with an encounter with the holy. What would it be like for you to be in the full presence of the one who makes everything by the word of his power? How, how awesome is he? That's what you gotta meditate on, right? It, it, should, it would blow your mind. You know what happens when people are in front of angels in the Bible, what do they do? Yeah, they cower in fear. They can't handle it. What would it be like to be in the presence of the glorified Jesus? Now, why is this important? Jesus made everything, and then the psalmist later says he's going to shake out creation like a robe. He's going to remake everything. He's going to remake everything, and he himself never changes. So he's sufficient in himself. He has no weakness, he has no needs, he's God. What was that thing that was pressuring you away from Jesus again? Keeping your list or something? Or there's that group of people? And then there's Jesus? Do you see what what the author of Hebrews is trying to do? He's trying to, to get you to smell what Jesus is like again, how huge he is, and be like, Really? Did you want your house instead of Jesus? Did you want those, the four people at work to think you're cool instead of pleasing Jesus? What, are, you, are you catching the drift? What feeling are you getting? Oh my gosh, that's insane. That's stupid. Why would I pick that? Why would I pick anything over Jesus? Why would I pick anything over Jesus? Even if I die, he's going to remake everything. Or as we say this morning, we're going to rise from the dead. I'd rather have Jesus, right? That's what he's trying to do. Look at verse 13. Now he's going to, uh, we looked a little bit at Psalm 102. Now we're going to look at the author of Hebrews' favorite psalm, and I think it's probably the New Testament's favorite psalm. In verse 13, back in Hebrews chapter 1, the author of Hebrews says, To which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? So that's in Psalm 110. You want to turn there? Page 509. Some people actually say that the book of Hebrews is a sermon about on Psalm 110. Because you'll notice later on, he's got, you're a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The author of Hebrews is going to spend like a bunch of chapters on that. But we'll get there later. Right now, we're just going to look at Psalm 110, 1 to 3. Somebody want to read that for us? Psalm 110, 1 to 3? Go ahead.
Awesome. Do you remember when, um, in the story of the Gospels, when the Pharisees are trying to trick Jesus, he's famous, and they're trying to mess him up. So they bring all these different questions about, what do we do about taxes? What do you do about this guy having, uh, this lady having more than one husband in heaven? You know, all, all, they're trying to trick him up. You remember that? After they get done doing their questions and he answers them and they can't handle his answers, he says, oh, I got a question for you. And Jesus himself brings up this psalm because this psalm has something amazing in it. Look at it, 110 verse one, what's the subtitle there next to 110? A psalm of who? David, David. so who's writing? David's writing. Then David says, the Lord. So who's that? Go with Yahweh, right? That's all capitals. So God, and then the Lord says to whom? My Lord. Wait, who, who are these people? David's writing, the Lord says to my Lord. Now, other than God, who is David's Lord? What's David do for work? Do you remember? He's a king. <laughs> he is the Lord in that sense. Who is this other person that's not Yahweh who is David's Lord? Here we are in Psalm 10, the Old Testament. We're like, there's this other, this other dude, this other person. And what does God say to David's Lord? Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. David has an idea on his son being a greater king than himself. And in ancient Near Eastern thinking, that's not the way it works. Nebuchadnezzar is greater than his son. Uh, David says, my son will be greater than me. And so this, uh, the New Testament loves this psalm so much because they, who do they see in here? Who's David's Lord? Jesus. Jesus. He's, and you see already, David says, my, this, this greater king is going to be a priest. So that's amazing too, because kings didn't get to be priests, but this one will be. Anyway, what does the Lord say to David's Lord? Sit at my right hand. What's the, what's the seat at the right hand mean? He's in charge, it's the seat of honor, seat of power. And, what, and what's, gonna, what's gonna be made of his enemies? A footstool. Do you know what a footstool is? Think of like a think of like a lazy boy, you know, and you just kind of want to, yeah. And what is the king's feet resting on? His enemies. It's kind of a brutal image. What what idea do you get from that image? Total domination total domination. We've seen this in several of the Psalms. Psalm 2, it was kiss the son lest he be angry with you. His scepter is of iron, he rules the nations. Rejoice with trembling. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. If you take refuge in him, you can't have it any better. If, you, if, you're, if you're not on Jesus' team, you're a footstool. You'll you'll lose. So there's that sobriety to it, right? There's, there's not like a, 
Do you see there's not like a neutral road with Jesus? You know, I don't want to do the totally reject Jesus, but then I'm kind of too scared to do the totally bow the knee and live for Jesus. Is there a middle ground I can follow here? Like kind of just be halfway Jesus? Can I date Jesus and still see other people? Right? What does the whole Bible tell you about that? Jesus gives you two roads. You remember that parable? There's two roads. One's a wide road. Everybody's on this one. Where's it going? Destruction. There's a narrow road. Only a few people are on it. That leads to life. And that narrow road is, I'm all in on Jesus. There's a warning in that passage, isn't there? Again, what was that thing that pressures you away from Jesus? Yeah. Yeah, good question. I, w- I think the idea is that they're distinct. Yeah. Do, do you see how he's trying to, he's giving you the glory of Jesus, but also the holiness of Jesus? Do you really want to leave him for whatever it is? Is it worth knowing the wrath of the holy Jesus so that you can please the eight people at work or whatever? What does this motivate you to do, right? So the first thing we've seen is Jesus is the divine king. He's in charge of creation. He created everything. You don't want to lose him. Same th- next thing you see, he's the, he's, he's the ultimate ruler of the universe. You don't want to leave him. The third thing to see tonight, you know, I think I'll save it for later, actually. There's a little tension for next week. What was the third thing? You'll have to find out later. No. Look at verse 3 of chapter 2. Actually, verse 2 of chapter 2. 2 2. Since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, verse 3, how shall we, what? Escape if we neglect such a great salvation. The worst place in the world to be on Judgment Day will be the person who heard Jesus, knew about Jesus, flirted with Jesus, and left Jesus. Because what excuse will they have? And, 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 you know, if justice is all about the value of the thing sinned against, right? You know, you take into a court case, if somebody does something on accident, that's one kind of a crime. If somebody does something on purpose, that's another kind of a crime. Uh, if you steal... $100, you get this penalty. If you steal a million dollars, you get that penalty, at least supposedly in a just society. Okay? If you've seen at least some of the glory of Jesus and you turn from him, you have, you've sinned against the most valuable thing in the universe and you did it on purpose. Is there, is there, a, worst, is, is there a worse crime than that? You just don't want to be there. So again, what's the motivation? You feel pressure to leave Jesus? Look at Jesus that diffuses the pressure. Because you'll have a whole nother weight and worth in your life. I'd rather please him. I'd rather know him. I'd rather have him. I'd rather be loved by him. Here's a few questions some sent in. One was, how did David know about Jesus? Did he have an understanding of the Trinity and how would he have gotten that? Great question. I don't think he had an understanding of the Trinity. Um, I do think he had an understanding that there would be a great king that followed him. And there are there are already hints because Israel was called God's son in the Exodus. Remember that? 
David's son, is, he will be a son to me, God says. So it's kind of like um, theologians use the word typology, something that starts small but grows and grows and grows and Jesus fulfills it, the eternally begotten son of God. Um, does that answer your question? Here's another one. What will be the fulfillment of until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Anybody, anybody want to try a shot at that? How's that fulfilled? Right. Yeah. I do think there's a, um, I think it's a symbol. I think it's an illustration. I don't think he's actually like kicking back with his feet on people. Um, it's a way to show total domination. So whether that's, um, it depends what we're talking about too. Is he going to rule over nations? Yeah. What's that mean? Uh, and how's that, how's that work for individuals? But we know there's total judgment, right, for those who turn away from him. Uh, Philippians 2 says, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I think it's just, he'll be explicitly Lord of all. Here's another question. Should we treat Christian friends that have drifted away like unbelievers in our evangelism ex- efforts? Great question. Uh, I think you should treat people like individuals. And um, hopefully you know that friend, and you, and you try to learn what the issue is, what the itch is. But there is a time to say, or to ask, really, you know, what do you think it means to be a Christian? And let them answer it, and then say, do you think you are that? And then let them answer. Um, because it can be helpful, it can be loving to help show someone that maybe they're a fake, or they're at least flirting with it. And it's dangerous. I usually don't, I'm really shy to be a judge on, you're not a Christian, or you are. I don't have all the information on that. But I have said to people before, you're scaring me. I'm concerned that you might not be a Christian for these reasons. What do you think about that? But yeah, as we're going to see through this whole letter, the whole thing has this beauty treasure of Jesus, and then there's, as you're going to see, there's warnings after each episode, Strong, some of the strongest warnings in the Bible on leaving Jesus. So there is a, hey, this is so serious and so valuable and so worthy. You know, if, if you turn to Jesus, he, he's yours. He won't reject you, right? This is not a matter of him refusing to forgive or something. No way. If you turn to Jesus, he's yours. You have him. But to turn away from him for something else, Um, there is no neutral ground. Uh, and that's a serious, serious thing. So stick with Jesus, folks. Amen. Nobody's more beautiful, and don't forget this part, nobody loves you more. Because the one who made heaven and earth and who's king of kings forever and ever, guess what he did for you? He died on the cross for you. And that's love. That's love. Any other questions? Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, I don't know, like in Philippians 3, 
Yeah. Right, it does lead to, how many of you had the question, can I lose my salvation? That's going to come up in Hebrews. Can I lose my salvation? You ever had that question? Uh, It sounds like he thinks you can, sort of. Here you are, you're here, and you could drift away. Um, Here's when we get into systematic theology, so I'll just do the nutshell real fast kind of a thing on one of the biggest questions there is, okay? Uh, I think the Bible says there's not a chance you can lose your salvation because you don't save yourself. Somebody else saved you. Jesus holds you in his hand. He died for your sins. He's going to get you to the end. Romans 8 something, 29, I think, right? Golden chain of salvation. Those he predestined, he just, he called, those he called, he justified, those he justified, he glorified. And it's just golden chain. If you're in one, you're in the other. You're a Christian till the end. Perseverance of the saints. I believe that. For me, the question is more, how does a Christian persevere to the end? And I think God uses warnings to keep his people. Uh, God's a father, right? Have I ever warned my kids? <laughs> Most of the time I want them to do things well for, for positive reasons, but sometimes it's don't do that, there'll be a price to pay. Okay? In the same way, warnings don't say to you, hey, you can lose your salvation, but they, those who are saved go, woo, I don't want that. I want Jesus. And so they, they sanctify you, they keep you in the fold. And and God's perspective on this and ours plays out very differently. He's sovereign. He's chosen who he's going to save. He saves them perfectly. He'll save them forever. But the way that plays out in your life and my life every day are the choices that we make. And so when you make a choice to go to church, when you make a choice to read your Bible, when you make a choice to stand for Christ, when you make a choice to pray, to desire Jesus and keep seeking after him, that's all a part of your salvation. So in the end, I don't know who God chose or anything else, but I see fruit in your life. I think, heck yeah, he chose you. I see, I see his fruit. And so that encourages us. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Um, but we've got parables. We've got all sorts of stuff that tell us that sometimes people look like Christians and they prove that they weren't by leaving Christ. But even then, I want to be careful because guess what might happen? <laughs> they might come back. <laughs> That's his problem. It's not mine, right? Um, But take the sober part of it, not to think, oh, geez, I can lose my salvation. No, you can't. I want you to rest in the finished work of Christ for you. You can't lose your salvation. But the proof that you're saved is that you keep seeking. You keep keep caring. You keep repenting. Um, You keep going after Christ. So if you say, if if in your, I'm going to give you a moment to pray here in a second. If you're praying, Jesus, I want you, keep me. Don't let that pressure push me away. Don't let me drift away. As you pray that to him and as you mean that, take that as good encouragement of him saying, that's because you're mine. That's because you're mine.